0: where people are receptive. And people that are materially poor typically are much more receptive than people that are materially blessed or wealthy or already have it. Last week we talked about how the materially poor are kind of used to living in a dependent state where they depend on others to help them. And Jesus made mention many times of the poor and our responsibilities to take the good news to them. So that's why I'm talking about it. Because there is a relationship there. So I want to develop three more thoughts today to help us understand a little bit more about how we step into this new world. I'm going to talk about navigating complicated roles because I'm calling you to take a leap of faith. I'm calling you to move into an area or at least lean into an area that may not be all that comfortable. And that mission you may find right here, right now, as soon as you leave this door, this building. But on the other hand, you may find it in Mexico, you may find it in Haiti, you may find it in Nigeria, you may find it in Ukraine. So think about that. And the first point that I want to talk about this morning is that not all poverty is created equal. People end up in difficult situations for a number of reasons. For some people it could be a disastrous situation that befalls them and they find themselves in a situation where they are without. For other people it could be a lifetime of poor choices that have caught up with them. For other people it could have been inherited from generations. But this lady from Mexico, the situation that got her where she's at could be, and in fact is, very different than maybe a homeless young man that lives in one of our major cities here in the U.S. If we go and we look, the situation looks very similar because materially, they're poor. They're trying to live without. But how they got there is very different. Now, the point is how we lean into or how we help in their situation needs to be very different as well. We need to understand a concept. This is a transformational development concept. This is something that Jesus taught, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But in helping people, there are times where relief is necessary there are times where rehabilitation is necessary and there's lots of times where development is necessary. Now what am I talking about? Relief would be an urgent and a temporary provision an emergency aid to reduce immediate suffering triage, bleeding. It's after the the earthquake in Haiti, it's after Katrina in New Orleans, it's after the Twin Towers disaster. It's when something happens that is tragic and drastic and immediate, and people need relief after that. But once the bleeding stops and people have water and people have food and people are kind of back on their feet, so to speak, there's still a period of time where rehabilitation is necessary. They may not have their home. They may not have clothes yet. And so there's a period where we need to walk along, and it's very appropriate to help build houses and to help people get back to where they were before the crisis hit. But in the majority of the cases that we deal with in lives around us and in lives around the world, we're really talking about development. There's not a physical or even a human disaster that's just taken place. There is habits that have built up. There's situations that have impressed themselves on a person or a family or a community. And development is a process of ongoing change that moves all the people involved. That's them and us, materially poor and materially non-poor, closer to being in right relationship with God, self, others, and the rest of creation. A little review. That's what we talked about last week. We talked about last week, and I don't know if all this talk about poverty makes any of you uncomfortable, but it shouldn't. It's a subject that we need to talk about. And what we talked about last week is we misidentify a lot of times what we're talking about. And the problem is not lack of things. It's not more things that's going to fix it. It's broken relationships. It's broken relationships that people, all people have towards God or with God. It's broken relationships that all people suffer from with themselves, your self-image, with each other, the way that we treat each other, and the way that we see ourselves and the world around us to be good stewards work hard, earn, provide for ourselves and our families, and at the same time giving back, live in a sustainable way. Those are all relationships that God gave us in abundance, blessed us with before the fall. After the fall, those relationships were broken, damaged, destroyed. And we're going to talk a little bit about reconciliation in a few moments and that is the process that God has been involved in ever since that day. And we are involved in as well. So development is one of those things that slide, by the way, the picture in the background is a savings club. It's an organization that's gotten very effective in Africa where Groups of people that are materially non-poor that have resources work together with people that are materially poor to help them save money. So that instead of just receiving aid, which would be a band-aid, they receive funds to help them develop a business, whether it be agriculture or crafts or something like that. And so they're teaching at the same time. We personally experienced this last summer when we went on the mission trip down to Toluca, or excuse me, down to Ensenada. And we went, when we went down there, one of the ladies, the outstanding ladies, was Laura. And Laura hasn't been a Christian all that long, but we've seen her from the time she was converted to getting involved in the church to now where she was one of the primary ladies that thought through, what do we need to do this summer when all these gringos come down? How do we need to do it? Oh, we need to have a vacation Bible school. They organized it. They planned it. And she made her felt flip-flops here, her felt flippers and her outfit. And she's standing in front of a group of young people, pouring her heart out to teach them about Jesus. She's developing. She's growing. And one of the most beautiful comments that I heard this last summer from a lot of our young people, some of our adults is... Well, they don't need us anymore. Yay! It's working! And they do need us, and we need them. See, we're making that shift from they need us, they need us, they need us, to, hey, you know what? We need them. We need them. We need them. And so here's the second point. When you help the materially poor, you become part of the equation. For years, we've gone down to... Ensenada to the Colony 89 church. We've seen it from this very beginning, from its inception. And we've watched it grow. And the common denominator is whenever we're there, we're there. Does that make sense? I mean, we're not there when we're not there. Does that make sense? They live all year long without us, but the only thing we know and we see is when we're there, hey, we're there. And it changes things. We change things. The dynamic is different when all these Americans show up. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just different. And so we need to realize that. And one of the things that we do sometimes is when we show up, when we're there and we're part of the equation, we take our brokenness with us. Do you remember last week we talked about how the materially non-poor sometimes kind of have an attitude, and that attitude is not ungodly, and it's not bad. It comes from an abundance of education, preparation, willingness, desire, heart. I've spent my lifetime in the, in the church, and, and I want to give back. I want to fix something. And so we go into a situation wanting to fix the problem, wanting to fix the people. That can be bad. It's done with the right intentions, it's done with a great heart, but it doesn't always yield the best results. So sometimes what that does is when we show up and we fix things, it reinforces what materially poor people are already feeling about themselves. I'm inferior. I can't do this. I, I do need somebody else to do it for me. So this picture is my favorite picture. I'm going to reveal it to you here in just a second. But the results can be the materially poor become more passive, sitting back and waiting for others to fix their problems. And as this happens, the materially non-poor often become a little bit more proud. And they say, see, I knew they couldn't do it. Why don't they do it more like we got this under control, we'll do this. Now, look at this picture. This is classic. This is... (laughs) I've seen this happen so many times. Look at it. What's going on in this picture? Are we teaching them how to paint the wall? They're being entertained. We're having a good time, but I'm not really sure if we're doing what God has called us to do. So there may be a way to improve on this a little bit. Third point, assets versus needs. When a materially poor person asks you to help them or when you go on a mission trip and you go into a situation, how do you feel? What do you think? Is it ever easy to be overwhelmed? Do you look at a situation that is so overwhelming and you think, man, the government needs to be changed. The education system needs to be changed. People need better jobs. They need better houses. They need And sometimes I think, well, they need to exercise. They need to eat, right, to exercise. But we're just overwhelmed with so many things. And the thing that impresses us most is they need to go to church. They need to become Christians. They need to develop faith and believe in God. Are all those things true? Yeah, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. But what can you do? What can one person do? Well, the thing that we need to do is we need to see not the needs, but the assets. An asset-based approach is walking alongside low-income people, recognizing the biblical truth that they are image bearers of God, and they've already received gifts and resources and abilities and talents. God has already given them those things. We don't need to fix it. We don't need to do it for them. We need to learn, and this is the leap of faith, we need to learn how we can kind of help, join in that, encourage, recognize, develop. And so I want to show a picture. I I sent a text last night. I I don't want to embarrass him, but Julie's sitting right up here in front, by the way. Living with Tom and Roxy, came from Haiti, was going to NWAX, gonna end up going to U of A, Lord willing. And if you've not spent any time with him, you need to do that. A couple of weeks ago, I was over at the meal on Wednesday night, and I was sitting there at a table, and Diego and Perla were there with their friend and some of the young adults, and Julie came in and sit down, and I just thought, wow, what an international congregation we got. This is so cool! But the thing that, I mean, I just like being around you. Your personality is so positive and so God-blessed. And I don't know what you were like two years ago or three years ago or five years ago, but I've seen God at work in him just in the time he's been here at Bentonville. I can only imagine in Haiti. So that's what it's all about. And you look at people like Biodin, who was here a couple of weeks ago who Jay and Aelita have poured their hearts into and in how he's developed. Biodin can do a better job of being president of the Western Nigeria Christian College than Jay could have ever done. Would you agree with me, Jay? Because he's Nigerian. Because he understands his culture. He understands his people. And God is blessing him and developing him because Jay and Ailita walked alongside him for a period of time. And that's not easy. There's no manual for it. There's no secret formula. There's no way to do it. But we just got to be willing. So I want to put out there that I believe the ultimate solution to poverty is the ultimate goal for missions that's why I'm talking about this the ministry of reconciliation so in Colossians 1 19 and 20 it says for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him that's talking about Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth and heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross let's go a little bit deeper 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's on your bulletin. If you haven't been doing the thumbnail, you can look at the back of it and it's on here. This is such a powerful passage and such a convicting passage if we think about it. And it's the reason that I'm talking about what I'm talking about. Paul writes here, he's writing to the church at Corinth that's struggling with things, struggling with gifts, struggling with relationships. And he's defending his apostleship, his ministry. But I think by implication, this goes to all ministers. And I think by implication, this is for us, all of us as Christians. It's instructing us. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. It's interesting in the commentaries that I've read about this it likens it a great deal to the Exodus story. When the Israelites were freed from the bondage in Egypt, and they were freed, they were let go. And they were just a couple of weeks maybe away from the promised land, and it would have been an easy march over there to go in. But things changed. And that couple of weeks march, we all know the story, it turned into 40 years, didn't it? because of choices, because of attitudes. But he's saying that the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled, past tense, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The thing that I'm coming to grips with, the struggle that I have, is I always own this reconciliation process. I feel like I need to be good enough. I need to work hard enough. I need to pray enough. I need to to not do any more of those bad things so that I'm worthy. And I'm trying to get my mind wrapped around the fact that it's done. It's finished. God already reconciled me. He already set me free from Egypt. I'm out there. I'm free. Is life easy? No, not necessarily. It's kind of deserty around here. And I'm looking for something to drink. I'm looking for something to eat, but I'm free. But I'm not in the promised land yet. But I have this ministry of reconciliation. I have this responsibility of passing on what I've already received. And in verse 19, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, pay attention to this next part. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Let that soak in for a minute. As though God were making his appeal through us. Through our words? Yeah. Through our actions? Yeah. Through our choices? Yeah. Through our lives? Yeah. God has already set us free. He already paid the price. That appeal is convicting, it's compelling, it's important. But he's making that in kind of an odd way. He's making that through imperfect you and imperfect me by living my life as best I can in front of the people around me. I've had a realization this week studying this material. I'm not going to be like Christ. All my Christian life, I have struggled to be more Christ-like. Don't we say that to each other? I want to be more Christ-like. I want to be more like Christ. I, I want to, and you know, it just dawned on me, I'm never, ever going to be like Christ. I can't even get close. I can't even get in the ballpark. But what I can do is to practice, to try to get better at reflecting him and the wonderful work that he's already done in my my life and the work that he is currently doing in my life. I can try to honestly reflect that before people that are around me. And you know, that's the best I can do. That's the best I got. And I kind of think that's the best you got too. And as long as I live with this frustration of being more like Christ I think I set myself up for, for failure and frustration. But if I, if I praise God and thank God for what He's doing through me, reflecting through me, I can do that. You can do that. Whether you do that when you walk out the door here or whether you do that by choosing to go on a mission trip, that's your choice. But we're inviting you. We want you to think about it. We want you to come back tonight and to hear more of the opportunities that we have. So, to close, you have a ministry of reconciliation. Take that leap of faith. Think about what God is calling you to do that might be different than you did last year. So our shepherds are here. They're going to get up and be available. And if you have any kind of need at all, if you're wondering what that leap of faith looks like for you, then talk to them. Come let us know how we might serve you or how we might help you as we stand and sing. Do not be afraid. The